This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, corruption and mind alteration, religious extremism, discussion of hate crimes, including lynching and genocide, and sexual attraction to both a woman and her mother. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 236. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fresh new fiction with you and tell you all the latest on my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 9 in my erotic fantasy novel, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Kate and John's vacation to visit her parents has taken an unexpected turn. During their first night at the house, they suffered a magical mishap, which resulted in Kate absorbing a large piece of John's Daedric essence. Since this essence is literally a piece of the fertility goddess Suspira, Kate's body partially reshaped itself to resemble Suspira's true form. That means that Kate now has a small pair of horns, a tail, and a 20-centimeter phallus where her clit used to be. John tried to take back the essence from Kate, much like Ms. Fallon did when Kate had picked up a much smaller bit of essence from visiting the Hedonist Temple. But whatever tricks Ms. Fallon has learned in her 400-plus years of life, the 37-year-old John couldn't figure out how to do it. It looks like Kate is going to be stuck with her new anatomy for now, which is more than a little inconvenient, since most of Kate's clothes do not have room for a tail. She managed to hide it inside a pair of baggy sweatpants for now, and pulled on a hat to cover her horns, but it's clear that this constitutes a fashion emergency. John and Kate will deal with that problem shortly, but first, it's time to go downstairs for breakfast. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Laster Chapter 9 The smells of breakfast hung enticingly on the air as John and Kate made their way to the kitchen. Sam stood in front of the stove in pajamas and fuzzy slippers, tending a pan full of sizzling sausage patties. Beside him on the counter was a baking sheet full of bite-sized potato puffs, oven-roasted to a crisp golden brown. Miko lay on the floor beside him, looking hopefully up at the sausages. Lisa sat at the breakfast bar, 
professionally dressed in a navy blue blazer and slacks, with a ruffled white blouse, gold teardrop earrings, and a thin golden necklace. She was finishing the last few centimeters of a cup of coffee and reading something on a tablet computer. A plate beside her held a few scattered crumbs and a discarded banana peel. Good morning, sleepyheads, Sam said cheerily. Now I can put the eggs on. Breakfast in five minutes. Copy that, Kate said. She went over to Lisa and kissed her on the cheek. You working today, Mom? Afraid so, Lisa said, gesturing down at the tablet. This client finally came down on his asking price, but we have to move on it now, or the buyer's going to walk. She sighed. We could have avoided all this if he'd listened to my advice in the first place. Words to live by, Sam agreed, and Lisa smiled at him before turning back to Kate. Sorry I have to deal with this on your visit, sweetheart. I'm free for lunch tomorrow if you want to go somewhere. Kate took her mother's hand and squeezed it. Sounds great, Mom. And seriously, don't worry about it. John and I can entertain ourselves. Lisa's expression turned playful. I'm sure you can, she said in a suggestive tone. Even through the glamour, Kate's cheeks turned red. Ugh, Mom! Lisa laughed and got to her feet. She turned to John with a conspiratorial look. She acts embarrassed, but I know where she got her sense of humor, she confided. Good morning, John, dear. Did you sleep well? Like a rock, John said. It's a great bed, Lisa said. I go in there sometimes when Sam snores too much. Miko likes it because then he gets to snuggle with me. Right, Miko? Miko turned his head in Lisa's direction, pricking his ears forward. His fluffy plume of a tail wagged slowly against the floor. Thump, thump. Lisa leaned over and scritched behind the dog's ears. John watched her ass as she did so, and tried to banish the thoughts of her coming in to snuggle with him. If you're looking for stuff to do, there's an arts and crafts fair at the community center, Lisa said, straightening again. And I think the homecoming parade starts at three, but don't quote me on that. Just steer clear of City Hall. The Redeemers are staging a protest down there today. John's eyebrows shot up. Protesting what? The Metacama celebrations, Lisa sighed, sounding exasperated. They think the Majestrix is a false goddess and that honoring her is idolatry. They've boycotted the feast for years, but that didn't get them enough attention, so now they're protesting. John nodded in understanding. The Apostolic Church of Yahshua the Redeemer was one of the many sects of rebuilders, a fractious, chaotic assemblage of churches that acknowledged Eli as creator and Yahshua as the savior, but refused to accept the authority of either the Ecclesia or the Church of St. Mirai. The rebuilder denominations were all relatively small, ranging from a few million adherents, at the largest, to tiny independent congregations of a hundred people or fewer and they varied widely in their beliefs and practices. John knew next to nothing about most of them. But the Redeemers were the exception. Though they only had half a million adherents worldwide, they caused an outsized amount of trouble, and all of the hedonist churches had been warned to keep a close eye on them. Redeemers believed that all outsiders, celestial, daedra, or fairy, were servants of the adversary, 
false gods sent to corrupt the world and lure people into evil. They called for all traces of outsider influence to be expunged from mortal society. In the Redeemer's perfect world, anyone with outsider blood would have to be exiled to the dreamlands, or worse. While the Church did not explicitly sanction killing, Redeemers had been implicated in hundreds of hate crimes, including beatings and lynchings of people with non-human heritage. The Hope Foundation, the non-profit run by Suspira's sister, Valena, classified the entire Church as a hate group, and John had seen little evidence to dissuade him from that view. Thanks for the warning, he said. I hope your sale goes well. Lisa rolled her eyes. Thanks. I think everyone's finally on board with reality now. She put a hand lightly to his bicep, squeezed it, and smiled. I'm glad you're here. Have a good time. On reflex, John reached up and covered her hand with his, just for a moment. I plan to. Kate cleared her throat very conspicuously behind him. John, would you like to help me set the table? John smiled apologetically to Lisa and backed away. Duty calls. Indeed, Lisa said, visibly amused. She crossed over to Sam and pecked him sweetly on the lips. See you tonight, lovely. Bye, Sam said, and stole one more kiss before she left. Miko watched her go, let out a quiet sigh, then turned his attention back to breakfast. John grabbed a stack of plates from the cupboard and carried them into the dining room, where Kate had just finished wiping down the table. He shrugged helplessly, and she rolled her eyes. The worst, she hissed, directly into his ear. Then she kissed his cheek and swatted his ass before heading back to the kitchen. Sam came to the table a few minutes later, where he piled their plates with hearty portions of eggs, potatoes, and sausages. Kate brought over mugs of coffee for herself and John, and she had even added cream and sugar to John's for him, a sign of true love, since she considered this a heresy against the holy beverage. Then they all sat down and attacked the food with a will. As they ate, Miko came up to Kate with a dubious expression, his ears flattened backward, his tail waving slowly. He sniffed her intensely for close to a minute, from her armpit down to her ankle. Kate tried to pet him, but he shied away from her, then went and parked himself between Sam and John. That's weird, Sam said. He reached down and ruffled Miko's fur. What's the matter, boy? You don't like Katie's perfume or something? Miko yawned and leaned into Sam's touch. John recognized it as a sign of mild anxiety. Maybe it's my new body wash, Kate said, pointedly not looking anyone in the eye. John thought it more likely that Miko was smelling something else, namely the scent of Daedra. He might not know what it meant, but he definitely didn't think it belonged on Kate. John passed Miko a bit of sausage under the table, hoping to win the dog's affections. See, boy? Daedra aren't all bad. The dog accepted the offering and slid slowly into a down position, though he kept his head up in hope of future snacks. John continued to sneak in bits of food for the rest of the meal. So, do you have any plans for today? Sam asked. Before the game, I mean. I think we're going to do some shopping. Kate said. 
We might check out the parade later. Sam nodded acceptance of this. I have some grading to catch up on, so I'll be staying here. Are you coming back for dinner? Kate looked at John, raising her eyebrows in question. Sounds good to me, John said. I never say no to a home-cooked meal. Great, Sam said. I'll whip something up for us before we go to the game, then. It starts at six, so be back here by 4.30? Deal, Kate said. John had run out of sausage, so Miko chose that moment to sit up, panting. He leaned in and pressed his massive head under John's arm. John took the hint and started petting him. Miko, Kate scolded, though she was smiling when she said it. Where are your manners? Miko thinks manners are optional where breakfast is concerned, Sam said. The dog closed his eyes and groaned happily as John scratched behind his ears. Have you always had big dogs? John asked. Lisa has, Sam said. His eyes went distant, and he smiled fondly. Back when we first started dating, she had this dog named Titan, a Brecklin Shepherd. He wasn't as big as Miko here, but he was tough and wary as an old soldier. He sure loved Lisa and Katie, though. Kate's expression grew wistful. I used to lay on top of him in the sunbeam by the front door, she said quietly. He was a good dog. Lisa likes to say that dogs are better judges of character than people are, Sam said. Titan got to like me pretty quickly, and she always said that was the reason she decided to keep me around. John ran his fingertips over the smooth, short fur of Miko's muzzle. The dog leaned into the touch, opening his mouth in a canine grin. Well, I'm glad to see I passed the test, John said. Of course, Sam said, as if that were obvious. We knew anyone Kate brought home would be good people. Inwardly, John winced. Would you still say that if you knew what I am? Part of him wanted to blurt out the truth, then and there, just to be done with the hiding. But that wouldn't be fair to Kate. Maybe someday they would tell Sam and Lisa, but he and Kate hadn't even been dating for a full year yet. There would be plenty of time for that awkward conversation later, and there was no urgent need to have it now. All the same, John quickly finished his meal and carried his dishes over to the sink. Kate, sensing his mood, did likewise. They bade Sam goodbye, bundled up against the cold, and headed out for some emergency clothes shopping. Downtown Bridger Heights was everything a movie producer could have asked for in a small-town shopping district. Wrought-iron lampposts hung with colorful banners lined the streets, which had about ten ground cars for every skimmer. The curbs were lined with old-fashioned parking meters, the kind that took actual coins, though fortunately there was also an option to pay online. There were a handful of chain stores that John recognized, a hardware store, a card and copy shop, an insurance agent with one of the big firms, but most of the businesses were small and locally owned. It was a remarkable contrast to the unending sameness of Ellentown's closer suburbs. The city council has always been big on local control, Kate explained when John asked about it. Any company that isn't based in this county has to get a waiver to set up shop within city limits. She shrugged, then adjusted the strap of her purse on her shoulder. It probably costs us some jobs, but it also makes us a destination. 
People shop here when they want something they can't get everywhere else. The local teens and college students were taking advantage of the week-long break from school, and they roamed the sidewalk in packs, laughing and shouting to one another. Many of them wore sweatshirts and jackets for Bridger High or St. Marais. John noticed some of them stealing admiring glances in his direction, giggling and blushing as they whispered to their fellows behind cupped hands. John winked at them and let his aura extend around him, invisible in the directionless gray light. This, too, was essence, the same divine power that made him an incubus, projected outward into the world. For those who were receptive to it, it would pass into their auras and flow through their minds and bodies. Unlike Kate or himself, most people couldn't store essence, only conduct it. John thought of it as the difference between a battery and a wire, and some people's wires were more insulated than others. Still, even having essence flow through you had an effect. It wasn't mind control, but John's Daedric influence would amplify a person's sexual thoughts and emotions, and loosen their inhibitions. Several couples broke into spontaneous displays of affection as he and Kate approached, snuggling closer together while waiting for crosswalks, running a hand possessively over a chest or ass, or making out in the doorway of one of the shops. John took Kate's hand and slowed their pace, leaning close to her ear. Do you feel that? he murmured. Feel what? Kate asked. Belatedly, John realized that Kate was keeping her aura closed. With her wizard's training, it was probably second nature to her. Open your aura a little. What do you sense? Obligingly, Kate closed her eyes and relaxed, taking a deep breath in and out. John felt her aura blossom open next to him, and again he sensed that ball of hungry essence inside her, reaching out to the world around her. Kate breathed in again, and let it out as a slow, sensual purr. Oh, that is delicious, she breathed. It's like, like fresh coffee and chocolate and strawberries? That's life manna, John said. Kate looked at him incredulously. What? No, I know life manna. I drank a fountain of life manna. This is something else. No, it's still life manna, John assured her. But it's life manna stirred up by sexual arousal. You're tasting it the way I taste it now. Kate's lips parted in an O of surprise. She took another slow, savoring breath in and out, and John felt a pulse of essence ripple out from her aura, washing over the people around them. A wispy, crimson smoke manifested around her, almost invisible unless you knew to look for it. Behind her, one of the snuggly teenagers pushed her companion up against the wall and started kissing him hard, wrapping one leg around his body. The boy did not seem at all unhappy about this. The power Kate had sent out came rushing back like the tide, carrying a flood of additional mana along with it. She sucked in air between her teeth and stood up on tiptoes as that core of need inside her snapped up the lustful energy with ravenous delight. Oh my god, Kate whispered. No wonder you're always hungry. 
Glancing furtively around him, John noticed they were now surrounded by necking couples. A few people across the street had pulled out their phones and were pointing cameras at the spectacle. Gulp. Nice going, John. He took Kate's hand and tugged her away at a brisk pace, closing up his aura as he did so. And now you know how my kind end up in trouble, he said. Kate blinked like she was coming out of a reverie. Belatedly, she cast a wide-eyed glance at the scene behind them, which was beginning to resemble a Chagok singer's music video, a mass of beautiful young people groping and grinding against each other. Despite the cold weather, there was an alarming amount of skin being exposed. Did I do that? she asked, in a wondering voice. Teenage libidos are on a hair trigger already, John said. It doesn't take much to get them going. Kate took another deep breath, then sighed. I can still smell it from here, she said, regretfully. But I guess we shouldn't stick around. It would be a good idea to get indoors for a while, John agreed. Give them a chance to clear their heads. Do any of these shops look promising? With a visible effort, Kate turned away from the chaos she had created and focused on the signs over the stores. Um, oh, yes. You see that one across the street, Fasciné? I know the owner. Perfect, John said. Let's go. And that's the end of Chapter 9. Come back next time when Kate introduces John to her tailor and more sexy hijinks ensue. Zadie Smith said, Tell the truth through whichever veil comes to hand, but tell it. Resign yourself to the lifelong sadness that comes from never being satisfied. So let's see what truths I've been able to tell this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of June 13th to June 19th. I wrote 7,303 words this week, over the course of 11.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 649 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 63 days without breaking my chain. This week I worked with Starla Hutchton on the cover design for Honor Bound, and wrote four different book descriptions, ranging from 50 words to just under 400 words. These descriptions will serve different purposes when it's time to market the book. The shorter ones are good for paid spots and newsletters, the medium one is the back cover copy, and the long one is for ads on Facebook and Amazon. If you'd like to see the descriptions, I'd love to hear what you think. They're visible to all of the patrons on my Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I've also made good progress this week on the book itself. I'm now in the early part of Act 2. This act is the one-step-forward, two-steps-back part of the story. Honor and Natasha know that they are strongly attracted to each other, and they make some moves to act on that attraction. But the events of Act 1 create complications that they will need to overcome. This is the part of the story where I've done the least amount of outlining, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where the characters take me. I'm now in Chapter 12, and the manuscript is over 27,000 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, 
Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.